I'm Adam Rappaport. Welcome to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. Today we have a sort of a two-for-one deal. We have the chef of one of London's most popular and celebrated restaurants, and I'm going to say the most influential cookbook author in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Ramel Scully. Did I say it right, Ramel? That's right. You did say it right. Close enough. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> and Yotam Odalengi, fresh from London. Thanks for coming by, guys. Thanks, Adam. So you guys got a new cookbook out, Nopi, which is uh, the restaurant you guys opened in 2011. That's right. Um, all right. What I, what I love about this cookbook, and I haven't cooked book from it yet, but Yotam, you write a very sort of charming introduction. <laughs> and what I love about this introduction is it's it says a lot. With the, there's It's kind of like... You talk about the collaboration and the sort of creative tension that you and Scully had. We just call him Scully, right? Yeah, that's he's Scully for everybody apart from his mom when she's angry at him. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> the rest of the time, he's Scully. So talk about that because as a creative guy, I find it fascinating that you're off, you do things a certain way with the Odalengi cookbooks and, and your shops. And then here comes this chef you hired who did things his way. Yeah. Well, every co- collaborator, I guess, has this problem. And I tried to describe it as honestly as I can in the introduction to the book. Essentially, Scully started working with me about 10 years ago and has come with a very clear sense of identity, which was very clearly different from the way I cooked and Sammy Tamimi, who is my, my business partner and creative partner, works. And so, you hired him at one of your shops? That yeah, does- we hired him to run the dinner uh, service at one of yeah. our restaurants. And Scully comes from a Malaysian and Australian background. So a lot of Asian f- influences, a lot of Asian food. But we are doing mid- Middle Eastern food with, you know, with a bit of U- Southern European, North African hints. And then all of a sudden, some comes someone and does, wants to do, uh, you know, use miso or he wants to use uh, tamarind and all sorts of ingredients that obviously we know, but weren't part of our repertoire. But because he's so talented and because he does it so well and because he's, uh, he's very creative and he really does cook in this, with the same bold flavors that we did. And at some point in 2011, it was, we realized he was good enough to really run a kitchen and, and put his own food on the menu. Okay, but you're saying that now. So let's, <laughs> let's rewind 10 years. What, yeah. was, it, was it frustrating for you where you've got this very well-known, successful chef who you know grew up in Israel and now in London, has all these partners, and he's trying to tell you how to cook and you want to do your thing? Well, it was never telling me how to cook. It was just... I think at the same time, was just telling me, Scully, you just have too many ingredients in one plate. How are we going to compromise this? And this taught me how to take criticism in that way. And it's actually taught me now more balance in my ingredients that I use. So 90% of the time, we always compromise about what we... You have to remember that when I met him, he was young and I was younger. So so it was actually, we, we went on a journey together. How long, Scully, did it take you to sort of realize that you were learning and you were becoming a better chef by teaming up with Yotam and Sammy and the guys. I would think it was the second year. And uh, the second year we started working more on towards, we had nine dishes on the menu and he would basically give me two Asian dishes. Then I started learning how to use the Middle Eastern ingredients and mixing up with the Asian ingredients. And that was a breakthrough. On the third year, we started playing more and more and more. Yeah. And then when we opened Nopi, it was a big chance for me to really push the Asian with the Middle Eastern flavors. At some point, yeah. we realized we can actually put some miso in our tahini yeah. and it worked. And it worked. And, but uh, is, is, is the common thread bold vibrant flavors whether it is asian or middle eastern what is what 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 connects you guys yeah i mean there's bold flavors i mean when you look at the map and you take off from the middle east from you know from israel or lebanon or palestine all these all this 
corner of the Middle East and you start going eastwards, you realize that there is this kind of a natural progression. So, you know, you get more and more chilies as you as you as you head east, you get more and more uh, certain herbs, you use more of them, more coriander, a little bit more mint, more of those flavors. Uh, but essentially, we're talking about the same palate, a lot of citrus. Uh, quite a lot of uh, oils used, a lot of lentils and other grains used in the cooking. So essentially, it's not this huge breakaway from what we were doing. It's just an extension, an extension of what we were doing. There was a fascinating piece in The New Yorker a couple of years ago, Yotam, on, on you and your team. Um, and Jane Kramer wrote, and I thought what was so interesting about that article was that Americans know Otolenghi from your cookbooks. Um, and you're hugely successful here and hugely, I think, influential in terms of how we eat, as, as even as a sort of modern food culture in a magazine like this one, just with the the bright flavors, the herbs, the the, the grains, vegetable forward. And the piece revealed that Odalenghi is more of a, a brand, a, a machine, than it is a person. That yeah. You guys really are a team there. We really are a team. And this is what I always try to... I mean, not every journalist wants to see that because often they want to pinpoint one person and say that's the person but actually whenever i get an opportunity i i always try to t- say how important this is a collaborative it's a bit like a, you know it is a in essentially it's a, an incubator for different creative people to come together and do things in in collaboration on or on their own so Sk- sammy and i are the first are the first example and then afterwards kim scully i'm working on a baking book at the moment with another person with Helen Go who's does a lot of our cakes another Malaysian another Malaysian yeah <laughs> and uh, and in a sense that's how we do things and that's always been how we've managed to expand without losing our our uh, ability to innovate and that's and and it is really Jane Kramer was spot on show, shedding light on all of us not just myself was it tough for you Scully to feel like you're the fifth beetle or trying to join this group you know, like how how when did you finally feel like you sort of belonged? Well, to be to be honest, when 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 we opened Opie, um, the, the first two years, I think it wasn't the feeling of not being belong. The food was already part of mine and part of the, the company, and then we putting together. I think we're just getting it right, and that was the hardest thing. That that first two years of opening Opie, I was just we all were like not sure what we really wanted in yeah. Opie. And then the third year, I started feeling it. And then, you know, doing, doing 200 covers a night, you start thinking as a chef, like three components on the dish really works well. It's efficient and it's always strong, bold flavors. That's why we always maintain that part. And we always have a sense of, I mean, I always make a real, and Sammy as well, we always bring all the chefs together around the table with their ideas. We have a chef's meeting uh, twice a month where, where young kids, you know, people that have only been in the company even less than a year, get to share their knowledge with the rest of us. They come in, they bring a salad, they bring a dish, and we try it and we go like, okay, that's a really good idea. Maybe it can go on the menu where we can change it a bit and work with it. And it's always been my policy that that's the best way to grow. There's the old saying, there are too many cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> and you write about in the introduction, when you opened Nopi, you had like a three-person kitchen. Yeah. There was you, there was Scully. Sarit. And Sarit. There was and a like, third person. So, and that in itself, like you have three head chefs in a kitchen. Like, how does that work? It or how does it not work? Yeah, well, it doesn't always work. And when then it doesn't, it doesn't always work, then we change the model slightly. I mean, in a way, it, it started off by Samuel and myself working Quite separately, I was more in charge of the pastries and the cake and Sammy was doing the salads. Then when we realized that we can start giving advice to each other in each each other's department, then all of a sudden we said, actually, this actually can work. We can 
encroach a, a little bit on each other's territory. And then, you know, and then it was just free for all. Everybody was kind of giving advice. Um, you're talking, you do a column for Bon Appetit, uh, Notes from My Test Kitchen. So I visited you and I'm, I'm blanking on the neighborhood because I'm not from London. But Camden. Camden. Okay. So you're, you're Mr. Big Shot bestselling author, TV guy, columnist. And you go to, I go to your test kitchen and I'm like, wow, you're literally like underneath the railroad tracks in some <laughs> sort of bombed out warehouse district. I'm definitely not in World Trade Center. Yeah. So, so why, why not open someplace fancy and shiny and beautiful? What is a test kitchen? Well, it's first of all, real estate in London is, well, I'm sure the same as in New York, yeah. but it's very expensive. We wanted something that is extremely practical because the whole ethos of testing recipes, and I've always emphasized it, is about creating something, is that, an environment that is as similar as possible to a home kitchen. Yeah. We don't have fancy gadgets. You saw that. Yes. We go and buy the ingredients in the supermarket rather than our, from our purveyors that are kind of, you know, the Italian, Japanese, and the Chinese. But not everybody has those suppliers, you know, supplying them into their kitchen. So w- from the day one when I designed the test kitchen I said I wanted to look like not even my kitchen but someone that even doesn't have the best kitchen in the world we can't even use gas there because it's not safe because it's under it's literally <laughs> under a train you know, the trains are yeah. going up and down rumble, constantly rumble, rumble. so we have to use electric which isn't ideal I mean any chef would rather use gas but we can't so essentially it's all about making it work for us but I think these constrictions are very good for coming up with great recipes that work and normal kitchens. Scully, so let me say, uh, if you're an American and uh, and we're visiting London, what's the best way, do you think, to sort of experience the, the world of Team Odalenghi's cooking food? Where, where should we go? What should we order? I think I think you got to start from the number one, the, the, the first Odalenghi, which is in, um, in Notting Hill. Notting Hill. And then, and that's and that's explain that it's, it's like a it's a a, a, a shop with it's like a shop a, like, slash cafe deli. What am I ordering when I go? What you're ordering? Oh, yeah. see, I'm a fan of these uh, apple olive oil cake with, Ooh, the, okay. with the with the maple cream. It's one of my favorites still. Um, and then I'll go for the polenta cake. Do you eat just sweets or is there anything savory to order? The savory, or oh, look, to be honest, it's you got so many options between like ten to fifteen salads a day. Yeah. So I don't know where to start. To be how, honest, how would you, how would you as a chef? Describe Yotam's cooking to someone who's never tried. Look, when 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 2005, I was looking for work on my second year my, in London. I, I applied for the job, and I remember did a re, I did some research before I went to the shop, and I walked past on the second on the first day, and I was like, wow, this is amazing kind of layout, you know, and the big meringues. And I always tell Yotam he, he's built his his business on eight whites of sugar, <laughs> you know, <laughs> those huge huge meringues, cheap cheap cheap. Yeah, and as Asian is a young chef, I was thinking I'm really hoping these guys make things this all these things fresh downstairs. Yeah. And when I walked in on that day for the trial, I was like, amazing. And then that's just, as a young chef, there's respect already that you know that everything that goes on the counter, it's made fresh on the spot yeah. every day, every night, yeah. and every morning. So definitely start from Nothing Hill and then finish off in Upper Street because you have the dinner service, the sharing plates. That's where I always start, started from. And these days, go nopey. There's, a, there's you know, something different. So, uh, Scully, if you had to name five quintessential Otolenghi ingredients for someone who's not familiar with his food? What, what, what are some well, of the ingredients? For- number one, preserved lemon. It's always around. It, we, we non-stop making it fresh every day because we go through a lot every few months. So yeah. I'm always talking up. Uh, the tahini, you know. Yeah. I haven't seen that much tahini in my life and different <laughs> tahinis. But he's taught me a few things. So you're talking about the black tahini and what's the, what is it? The red tahini? And a whole yep. meal tahini. Yeah. And red, yeah. yeah. And number three, I would say the with the with the with the pulses, 
like buckwheat and quinoa and um, you know lentils. Yeah, it's all around. Uh, number four would be the molasses. What, oh yeah, the, yeah, the, the pomegranate, the pomegranate molasses, molasses yeah. and date molasses. And this is something five years ago I started using in my cooking too. Different kind of sourness and sweetness. And I'll say number five. I think you missed one, Scully. Yeah, yogurt. Yogurt. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Yogurt versus labna. Okay. Is there a difference? Well, like, what, no, what, I mean, what, what in your what do you what do you define as yogurt? Yogurt is what it is, but labna is yogurt that's been drained of much much most of its liquids, so it's firm. Yeah, and you can roll it into balls, and you can preserve it in olive oil. So essentially, it turns into very very young cheese. Oh. But uh, it's it's essentially it is it is yogurt that's just have a lo- has a lower uh, moisture content. So if I have a, a a jar of preserved lemons that I bought at the store, what, what, what give me three good ways to use them? Okay, so you just take them and put them in your food processor, and you blitz them with a bit of olive oil and a pinch of salt if it's spice if you want, and there's your dressing. Just throw it uh, on, a, a salad, salad or, or salad on dressing. Top of roasted vegetables or something. Absolutely, or you can chop it up. Mix it with olives, capers, and you've got a salsa that could go over oily fish, can go over yep. lamb, or Old everything meats, that's yeah, got, yeah. To, you know, something meaty. You can add it to your, um, to, you can even add it to your, you can blitz it up together with butter and more le- and lemon juice and put it over your roast chicken. Ooh, wow. You, yeah, you, st- awesome. you put it under the skin and that preserved lemon, but the, the beautiful thing about preserved lemon, it's, it does everything. It does the acidity, it does the perfume of the skin. It's like everything in one in one little neat package, yeah, and uh, it's just it's just magical. It it's has a that really punch wonderful in that bite. It's kind of like yeah. almost like anchovies. It sort of just adds an, an element. It also got that bitterness at the back of your palate. That's, yeah, it's a nice bitter. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when you eat it, and the longer you keep them, the better they get. Like after a year or eight months, they're even better. When you go in in Marrakesh in the market, you see these jars, and they start off by the, the lemons being yellow, and then they go all the way to being brown. But the brown ones, they've been there for a year or so, have the most amazing mm-hmm. flavor. Exactly. You just need patience. But normally you use them before you, uh, you, you wait a year. <laughs> so when you're in town, like New York or something, what influences you? What are you guys going to check out while you're here? We went, we went together. We went to milk to a Momofuku milk bar for breakfast. Yeah. We had some cookies. Oh just, just a little bit of sugar. Yeah. A few from there, we went to Bouchon Bakery for some more sugar. More sugar. And they, we hardly arrived here. We were just like someone had to carry us because it was just too much. Uh, we haven't eaten anything savory no, today yet. We haven't, not yet. Just sweets. But like, what do you, well, you come here a lot. So, what, what do you like about New York? Or what, what sort of, what, what, what interests you? What, what, what do you take back with you? Well, I go to the traditional Jewish delis because mm-hmm. I just love going there. We don't have that in London and it's a wonderful thing to do. I really like, much prefer to go to the places that are kind of under the radar a little bit. I know I'm sure they're not yeah. under your radar, yeah. but, oh, uh, no, no. <laughs> but not the top, top, top end and, uh, end restaurant. Although I love Nomad. I yeah. love the food there. I'm it's a fan perfect. of Nomad too. Yeah. 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 Last, last time I was here, I went to Momofuku Coat. And that, oh, so that, that's, that, their, that's their tasting counter where yeah. it's a multi-course meal. That, that blew my, my, my taste buds away. And then a day later, we went to Levin Madison Park, different style of cooking, different yeah. style of cuisine. That blew my taste buds too, in a certain way. So this time, I don't know what, what, what we... You, you've met, you mentioned David Chang in the book. Yeah, big, a, big fan of Lucky, Lucky Peach. What is, what is as, as a chef, how do you perceive Chang and what's his influence in the, in the world of cooking? I think being in the Asian background, how he, how he just taught, like, taught and took, took Asian ingredients to, to, to in the States and just done it in a different level. It's, is inspired me to take my Asian ingredients and make it one more step level. But that's fascinating that you you can in this day and age you can have an Asian American chef in New York 
helping influence a Malaysian Australian chef who yeah. now lives in London and yeah. works with an Israeli guy who yeah. you know it's, it's so beautiful I mean Scully is the sort of person that constantly read magazines and books and he comes to me and says oh we've got to try this yeah. and we're very open about these influences and I, and I think that's again it goes back to the collaborative spirit the way everybody collaborates now which is so much nicer than it used to be a while ago when chefs were all it was, was all about the secrets at the moment it's all about sharing yes uh, if you read the book the burn miso with uh, butterscotch with the quail and then I have that I actually so, have that flag right here yeah. I want to say I remember that day stickies. when I learned that from Lucky Peach and I swear I got to the kitchen I made it and I was jumping in my <laughs> chefs and so I was like what the heck chef's doing you know I'm like this is amazing so how do you, well, speaking of recipes one thing you address in Nopi the cookbook um, and Yotam in your introduction you say, I like this line. This is your very first sentence. Uh, if you happen to have my previous cookbooks, Ozalengi, Plenty, Jerusalem, and Plenty More, you will notice right away that the dishes in this book are somewhat more complex. <laughs> Talk about that. I wanted to get this out of the way as, <laughs> yes, as, as soon as possible <laughs> because I, th- I thought, you know, we're doing something very different this time. It's the, the recipes that I've published in the past were created in the test kitchen or in my home kitchen. And this was always what I had in mind, taking a a flavor, a dish, an ingredient, and translating it to a home cook and creating it for a home cook. Here, the process was completely different. We took a dish that has already proved itself on a restaurant menu, started off very differently. And I write in the introduction, to create a dish for a restaurant, you know you're working in a very different environment. You've got a team of chefs cooking, doing mise en place for three hours for a very quick service that would last a couple of hours. And then they go home and clear it up and there's got kitchen porters coming to clean and everything is works very differently for home. You're and, you're also, do- and you're also making food for people who expect to be impressed by what is put down in front of them. You but know? I think you, we often cook to impress even at yeah. home and dinner parties. But it's not about that. It's about the ease of creating something that is that is very complicated and it's got a lot of components and is very involved. Now, we t- I wanted to take these flavors and really make them work for home cooks. So I took the recipes, or we took the recipes. I got Scully to come to the test kitchen and try to, for once in his life, <laughs> really try to make these all these really complicated things doable in the home kitchen. But we only went halfway through. Halfway. So we met our readers halfway through. You know, we said, okay, these are restaurant recipes. We'll simplify them for you. We might lose a thing or two. We might use an ingredient that you're not familiar with, but we'll tell you substitutes as well. Uh, but you mean, you might need to work harder, at least with some of the dishes, not with all of them. Yes. Um, I guess, yeah, like the, the miso quail. Um, the miso quail is actually a, a simple dish to make. That, well, you're a prof- of course no, you're going to no, say no, that. Listen, <laughs> I'll show you much more yeah. complicated dishes. You take, a, you take your miso and you spread it out on a tray and you burn it in the, in the oven for five minutes, seven minutes? Uh, the, uh, about eight minutes. Eight yeah. minutes. Yeah. You put it in a food processor with mirin. With blood brown sugar, sugar. sherry vinegar. Thank you, Scully. Yeah. <laughs> you blitz it and you put it on your quail. You, you sear it, and this and the salsa is pomegranate seeds, chopped walnuts, and some seasoning. Really, that's all it is. It's a, it's a simple dish. Okay, it's not like you might not cook it in twenty minutes, but you can cook yeah. it in an hour and a half. Yeah. There that's you go. simple. That's, that's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Scully. So Yotam is a a veteran cookbook writer. Um, at this point, this is your first book exactly what did you enjoy about it and what did you find really challenging about the process of putting all these recipes onto paper when when your time approached me to do a cookbook for home from home cooks i thought it'd be a walk in the park i really thought it'd be so easy to do it (laughs) it was the hardest thing i ever did in 21 years cooking (laughs) number one i had to learn how to measure salt 
Because none of a sudden you just grab a pinch here and exactly. throw it in. And, you, know, and you do it like five times yeah. in the course of a recipe. The first few months, like, you're talking, are you measuring the salt? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> so I learned that the hard way. And then number two was the ingredients. Uh, you know, like in, in, in a restaurant, we can call our supply and we get the best stuff. So the first six months, I was bringing a crate of ingredients for my Nopi kitchen. And and then I've noticed that if I want to get get it right for the home cooks, I had to learn how to be a, a, a home cook, go out shopping in supermarkets, yeah. and that was a that was a big thing for me. And I learned a lot what was in town in the UK, and I didn't know you can get Japanese yuzu juice. And then it started got it started making me more creative in the way that you know I really enjoyed making that book. And then I had to start thinking if I was at home, I was prepping all day and then my guest was coming at four o'clock i gotta make sure i look good and the, the kitchen's nice and clean <laughs> you always look yeah, good yeah, thank you. and then the thing is is but it's just like making it easy reheating food and then at the same time i always find it hard to cook for one one a person one people or one person for two people yeah. in, in your home so i had to think that you know someone just like give example the asian master stock i want to teach home cooks that you can actually make the stock and basically, and then recycle it for weeks and months or years. My mom has an Asian master stock in, in the freezer for five years. Wow. Yeah. So I want to teach readers like that too. Like what we did in the restaurant, we can take it to the next level at your home. So, um, well, that's awesome. Congratulations on the book, guys. The Nopi Cookbook out now. Pick it up. Yotam Otolengi and Ramel Scully. Um, but before you go, we are going to subject you to our lightning round. Either or questions you have to answer. <laughs> some might be directed at some of one of you more than the other, but we'll give it a shot. Um, number one: pomegranate molasses or miso. Ooh, ooh! Why did you? Why did you say yeah, it's, it's, it's like why, a big either or? Either a, or, pick one. It's a big wrestling match uh, right now. Oh <laughs> gosh! So you you would go for the? Well, of course, I'm going to go for miso. I got to back that up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll take the pomegranate molasses. But you you secretly love miso. I now, do right? love miso. Uh, actually, miso. You're is, having an affair with it. Miso. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very bad. Miso is uh, is slightly more versatile. <laughs> um, I'm glad you admitted that. Um, <laughs> Duka or togarashi? Oh, duka any day. Togarasha, if you take the other question, I mean, Togarashi is slightly more limited. Duka yeah. is, is good for cooking, good for sprinkling. Chelsea or Arsenal? Arsenal. Arsenal. Oh, wow. That was fun. Right. <laughs> you, you guys agreed on something. I uh, live in North London, so yeah, I got I to... Yeah, exactly. We both of us do. Oh, this is... I like this one. Falafel or shawarma? Uh, falafel. I'm a shawarma fan. <laughs> <laughs> You're a big guy. Yeah. <laughs> Our producer, Belle Cushing, supplied this question because she's smart. Yotam, Hegel or Kant? Oh, God, that's not fair. I guess it has to be Kant, but yeah. Why does it have to be? Well, because I can understand what he writes, and Hegel I still haven't figured out, even though I've finished my master's in philosophy. It's too complicated for me. Mint tea or English breakfast tea? Oh, mint tea. Mint. Yeah, mint tea. Mint yeah. tea. Yeah. English fresh, breakfast fresh mint or dry yeah, mint? Fresh, fresh mint. Fresh, fresh mint. mint. Yeah. I mean, for, for English breakfast, you might as well have coffee. Yeah. <laughs> um... All right, final question. I think I know the answer to this one, but we'll find out. Butter or olive oil? Olive oil. He's changed me, olive oil. He's changed you. That's <laughs> <laughs> good to know. I still love butter. I'm not going to lie to you. No, I, we all <laughs> yeah. like butter. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Yotam Odolungi and Ramel Scully. Check out their new book, Nopi. Thank okay. you, Adam. This podcast is brought to you by executive producer Bell Cushing and project manager Carrie Polis with editing by Mitra Kaboli. The theme music is by Valerie and the Greedies. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.